0: go listen to the Lucha Yovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Nos vemos por ahí. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts
1: as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
2: back to another episode of the good the bad and the hungry here on the voice wrestling podcasting network i'm your host tyler Fortis. with me as always is fred and unfortunately fred is dealing with the aftertaste of pax lovid how are you my friend uh
1: i'm very bitter but like in a different way than usual um yeah but things are going well uh I, i've somehow dodged covid for four years and i really can't like lift that look that gift horse in the mouth but uh you know it could be worse so uh First 24 hours, not so great. Afterwards, it's fine. So, But yeah, no one really gives a shit about that. Uh, the important thing is, we have RJ City with us, a very honored guest.
0: Yeah, thanks for warming up the show for me,
1: Fred. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm just a professional. Uh, everyone loves my shit. Yeah. Um, I'm great at everything I do, and I definitely am not like the, like Trevor Dame I had on as our sub host last week. Yes, uh, thanks for coming back from the store, Tyler. I appreciate the milk. <laughs> um,
2: oh, was that the excuse you used for me going? Yeah, to the
1: so, the, uh, yeah, we used that at some point, and then and then I had to get the uh, the pest control people to get a. Uh, to get trevor out of the floorboards it was really awkward when he really tried to stay uh but you know the joke with him is like he's got low self-esteem and i like that would be me if i actually posted on twitter but i prefer just to retweet things that i think are funny or harrowing you know one or the a, other. you're an ally you're a twitter ally i think is the term is that the thing okay no. cool i'll go for that no. sure yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll boost the numbers and then um, trevor
0: heard i was coming on and said i gotta go
1: yeah basically <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Who else has anyone else from AW been on this program? No,
1: you're you're the first one. Unless you, unless you believe, there's the very the funny the payroll. fake payroll thing. Uh, yes, thank you for reminding Meltzer me.
0: it's frustrating because he only uses Zell. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the the fact that Dave uses Zell, I think, is really impressive. That's right, yeah. way above what we no, would it, Think, I I uh, I would
1: be shocked if he used that. I think Dave he uses, only uses word Western perfect. Union. Yes. He does use word perfect. Like that's what the newsletter is written each, each week, if I'm not mistaken, which is, I love it. It's perfect. It's, can we,
0: Can let me just throw something out there that yeah, sure. I learned today and it blew my mind and I can't stop thinking about it. Jacques Rougeau was on the Quebec version of The Masked Singer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I that found amazing. this out
0: today and he was dressed as a, I know. I'm sorry that there's no video here, but I I did take a picture of it. Um, I'm going to show it to you guys, and you can describe what you're seeing. Can you, fellas?
1: Oh, boy. That is the most cursed thing I've ever seen in my entire life. This is like if I. It looks
2: like an Okada cosplay mixed with uh, Larry the Lobster from SpongeBob.
0: Yeah.
1: This is what I would see if I was sent to a Mardi Gras themed hell. (laughs) <laughs>
2: after
1: i died uh, so. i just wow. came from
2: mardi gras so that,
1: that that tracks how was the senior Bowl? did you enjoy getting to watch all the old people play football
2: oh it, it was that's great. how i understand and,
1: it works yeah
2: um rj I, I cover the minnesota vikings for usa today as well and yes. I, every year i traveled down to mobile to the senior bowl to watch all the draft prospects and it was a lot of fun it was also hilarious because it was 60 degrees outside and i'm from minnesota we don't have a lot of sun in February. I, my face is still a little bit red from how sunburned I got a week and a half ago. It was,
0: you just weren't was, conditioned for it.
2: No, yeah. um, everybody who had any sort of light complexion, it was just absolutely cooked 60 degrees, not, go, not even hot.
0: Let me ask you a question since you have fingers and pots of both football and wrestling, <laughs> isn't it nice when people they go, Oh, toxic wrestling fandom and tribalism oh wrestling fans online are the worst and then you go no that's just people online because like football fans online are just like this too Our oh, college they?
1: football fans are yes are oh. special special people yes this um, is
0: just people in
1: general yeah really yeah no Mm -hmm. and and, but it's very funny because i never hear it presented to this like very moralistic way in any other kind of thing i follow like whether it be you know sports or like you know uh pop culture like you know even like the swifties or whatever uh the beehive right uh i'm 40 years old like i can only get (laughs) so cool guys um but, like, you know, with co- with pro wrestling, it's very funny that the conversation is always like, this is why we don't have casual fans. So I'm like, maybe it's because the biggest companies in the U.S. have had shit booking for most of the past 25 years. But or, I don't know. That's just me. Or, Fred,
0: let's continue the hot streak. Maybe it's because technology has made the media landscape so fractured that it's almost oh, impossible it. to be mainstream anymore. It's just a there's, there's no of- modern
1: culture anymore. Yes. You know? yes that, yeah, that's that's interesting. Everything's because- is- niche.
0: Yeah,
2: I think it was uh, somebody in our, our writer's slack was talking about this. There are no mainstream stars anymore. Taylor Swift, obviously, stars. but there's
1: like five, right? It's yeah.
2: like LeBron James, Taylor Swift mm-hmm. and like three other people who are like yeah. actual stars, like yeah. pass the mom test. If you yeah. go up to your mom and be like, hey, do you know who this person is? And they say yes, they're a mainstream star, right? But they're not going to know who like J- Logan and Jake Paul are
0: right i but and it's one of those things where it's like and tyler thank god for that let's get the mainstream fans by booking the celebrity who's very popular but also most people haven't heard of
1: i was actually going you know this this reminds me of something i thought of while watching the super bowl last night i made uh made it through three-fourths of it on cbs before i was like you know what i'm watching the spongebob one um I seriously watched the the last 10 minutes and like the entire overtime of one of the closest Super Bowls ever with SpongeBob and Patrick screaming. Uh it was it was like a fever dream and a, you know with COVID too just it was perfect. Um just the dumbest culture. Uh love <laughs> um but my but the thing I was getting to is that, you know, it seems like, and I have no data to back this up with, but it seems like, you know, back in my day, you know, in the 90s and stuff, when, like, they really started to push, like, the Super Bowl commercial as a big, big deal, culturally, like, it was just, like, you know, like, money put into normal commercials, like, mm-hmm. people you never really had heard of at that point doing shticks like, the was Up commercial and all this stuff, or mm-hmm. early CGI with, the, you know, the Budweiser frogs, and et cetera, you know, I just learned a lot about beer when I was 15, I guess. <laughs> um but um but now it's like you can't spit without hitting a commercial of uh, celebrity in these commercials and it's just like incessant and it's really kind of interesting to watch that progression and probably not good i don't know i don't think it really matters been in one way but in the other it's like i don't know maybe chris pratt can take a year off
2: listen i'll tell you this i love the fact that rich people can make that much more money it, it just warms my heart
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. i say good for them i'll tell you something we peaked during the series of the Lipton Brisk claymation commercials. After that, I watched
1: the Babe Ruth one recently for no reason, and it was a delight. I mean...
0: On my YouTube, I sat through a supercut of all of them because I needed God. to get it out of my system.
1: We have the Dr. Pepper fanville though. So um, <laughs> there's that. Uh, speaking of fever dreams. Um, so, I mean, the dream is alive in some ways, but... Sure. Um, yeah, it's just a very interesting. I don't know why I brought us to this topic, but I do think it's very interesting in some way. I still now.
2: remember what was it? Uh, John Stamos as Uncle Jesse doing the. I, I think it was like um Oikos Greek yogurt, mm. where he I think he and uh, Danny Tanner ended up snuggling in bed at the end. Yeah, Like that one. That one always gets me.
1: Um, boy, that, there was that whole period where John Stamos was like the token older hot guy. -hmm. Like ten years ago, that was kind of weird. Um, I had a blood feud with uh, the Full House cast anyway, because when I was like seven, I uh, actually ten, a little older, I uh, I got bored of watching a rerun of Full House. I went out on our house's front porch and sat on a tricycle and accidentally rolled it off the front porch and broke my arm. So I swore a blood oath uh, to get revenge on Bob Saget, but I never did get that chance. Wow! Wow! Just because you're a step
2: by step fan.
1: No, definitely not.
0: <laughs> what a weird show that was. That was crazy. They were just like let's do the Brady Bunch but boring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just like there there was that period in the 90s where sitcoms were just like, you know, there was like the normal sitcoms and then there was the the christian adjacent ones i kind of put step <laughs> by step into that but like yeah. not actual christian television and then like one tree hill was kind of on the other end of that or you know uh mm-hmm. seventh heaven was it or whatever it was yeah or, seventh um, heaven
2: was the christian ad- adjacent one that also wasn't very christian <laughs> because right. you, you have you know reverend camden obviously you know preaches every sunday but then his kids are just little deviants
1: doing all sorts of crazy stuff well that's That's just a documentary shot in real time
0: (laughs) that's the problem with a sitcom though a christian sitcom is that you have to have bad things happen yeah you know like little house on the prairie it's a place so quaint
1: oh great one of the greatest heels of all time um i can't remember her name now but the little girl on it the the heel child uh rj you got Um, it right um, um oh god
2: well, it was Mary, it. Laura, and Caroline, and then I think the the youngest one was the baby. Well, was it was Grace. the
1: neighbor girl, right? Yeah, the neighbor was, girl. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm googling Look, this. This is you. the this bang is either the greatest uh, podcast I'll ever do or the worst. I'm not really sure. Um, and can't that's not a my, arch.
0: Can't imagine why Trevor Dame neglected to host <laughs> this one.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you um, Go ahead. No, no, no. no. I, I was. I'm still working on it. Sorry.
0: You know, Michael Landon in the series finale he found out that the studio was gonna still use the whole set you know they built a little town basically and they were going to use it for cheap because it was already built and rented sure, out yeah, for movies and whatever deal. and he said to hell with that so that's why he blew it up at the end of the uh, little house on the prairie
1: and that was the insp- inspiration <laughs> for smash a lot right
0: yeah yes
1: phenomenal do you, um, you guys
0: have questions about my
1: dark children's <laughs> television past? I never got to watch Splat a lot. Uh, I I was planning on this weekend to like find something and then (laughs) I I got a respiratory illness and I just slept a lot. So, yes. But I did watch an episode and a half of Smash a Lot.
0: Yes. And
1: um, are you now pro urban exploration for getting you a paycheck?
0: Well, a little bit. (laughs) So, let me. So, Splat a Lot was basically like a wipeout for kids and we were defending the castle. Yes. Uh, We were all these different characters. I was Gildar. Nelly Olson, thank you.
1: Oh, Nelly, she sucked. (laughs) Thank you. Great. She got hate mail as a nine-year-old from like adults. Yeah. What a world. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. No, No, I
0: needed. I was
1: excited. I'm
0: sorry. Thank you for the closure. Um, so I would be a handsome Viking and I would taunt kids and shoot things at them all while wrestling on the indies on the weekend. Living. That's what I was doing. Yes, and it was on Nickelodeon. It was on BBC. It was in Australia. It did, I guess, well for a show where you taunt nine-year-olds. And then years later, I think the Canadian government made them take down the castle because they just left it up. So that's what Smash-A-Lot was. It was a web series about demolishing the castle.
1: Yeah, and I learned about Splat a lot because of the Bright Sun Films video. I had never heard of it because I kind of aged out in Nickelodeon then. Yes. Uh, And I was like, this looks like the craziest place in the world. This is cool. I'm glad I learned about it. And then, you know, when I I was reading about, you know, Splat a lot slash Smash a lot, um, I found out that they had to take down the video. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and I, I'm like still kind of mildly annoyed by that because I was like that was a good video. I want to watch yeah. that weird place again. Uh, but you know, you did turn you know the the creators did kind of turn chicken shit into chicken salad there and uh, made a pretty entertaining. And I thing. hosted it. You did. Yes. Uh, did they let you keep the the body suit, the, No. Um,
0: the so I had a gold chest plate and a whole yeah. thing Eight muscles. Um, yes, on because top of your it,
1: actual muscles.
0: Yes, because it was like BBC produced co produced they were really tight about it and it was always in this bin 10 years so we hosted smash a lot 10 years after splat a lot and it was right. still in the bin in the exact same way that i put it there they were very <laughs> tight you had to write letters to get it out it was like a it was a whole thing
1: fantastic
2: yeah so i, I gotta ask you with your experience um with the show did you ever have any aspirations to potentially be a a Temple Guard and Legends of the Hidden Temples reboot. Ugh. Because that that sounds like a fun fun little crossover.
0: That reboot kind of broke my heart a little.
2: It really stunk.
0: Yeah, it was too survivory. It was not what I wanted. It had no Kirk Fogg. I mean, if you don't have Kirk Fogg modeling the latest from EMS, what do you have? You know? Um, Nothing. I always I... just dreamed of the Temple Guard smelling like cigarettes as they grabbed <laughs> a child. <laughs>
2: Little cheap that's So nineteen ninety-four.
0: Yes. Very much. I did actually once interview Phil Moore, the host of Nick Arcade. Oh god. Do oh, you remember sick. Nick? Yes. yes. So I asked, there was a conspiracy about why they always gave away trips to space camp because it was an inordinate amount. Right. And it's true. They whoever did it, whoever ordered them messed up. And like seriously, not too like, many trips. Yeah. Like added a zero by accident.
1: Ooh. So
0: they had show. It's and such was a was like, story. we could not give away enough. We couldn't send <laughs> enough kids to camp. We already bought these. Everyone has to go talk to NASA. We're sorry.
1: <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. We are, now that's why we've got so many uh, people against capitalism because they've all been sent to the one place that is safe from space. Yeah. Uh, as yeah. I make my awkward Tim Curry references. Um, RJ I do want to ask you a question and I'd actually originally slated this for Tyler but then we just went down this 15 minute uh, diatribe of absolutely everything except for what we had planned out so why pro wrestling because I did listen to your unrestricted uh, podcast interview oh. when you first came into AEW yeah uh, and you mentioned like saying you know that you always have loved pro wrestling and you compared to the Muppet show mm-hmm. uh, which is you know I appreciate that okay. uh, but like I have to ask like like why like what aspect of it really did appeal to you are you like traded in 19 Ninety-four all Japan tapes with Eddie Kingston (laughs) or is it you know just like what is it that appealed to you I so I I
0: never remember not being into it you know um the things that appealed to me looking back I go oh wow Bobby Heenan really appealed to me and now I understand why yes you know and now I understand why, like, I loved Rick Root as a kid before you could understand, like, why do I even enjoy this person? Of course, Earthquake was big because as a kid, you get to sit on people. Like, that's I mean, hilarious, right? Right. Um, Piper was very big. And, but I was always into wrestling and the Muppet Show. <laughs> like, even there's a, when I was a kid, there's like a hockey card when I played hockey, and they're like, future ambitions. And it said entertaining slash wrestling. Which is an oddly specific thing for a child to say. Who says what? Child says entertaining. Like I'm Mickey Rooney. It was a very weird. But, I hope to I make mean, it to
1: the Catskills one day. Yes.
0: Um. But wrestling is so. I. I guess because of the Muppet Show parallel, I always did look at wrestling as a show about a show.
2: Because mm-hmm.
0: there's a lot of backstage where try- like nothing goes right ever. Yeah. We have these matches. They might happen. They might not. Uh, so I always looked at it like that. I did get a lot deeper into wrestling, probably more than I give myself credit for. A big AWA guy, Tyler, if you're remotely interested in me loving Nick Bockwinkle. Um, oh,
2: hey, listen, I, I'm from Minnesota. My mom actually went to school with Kurt Henning. Ugh. And then that whole family, like they, I think it was Robinsdale Armstrong, like uh, which is probably about 15 minutes from where most of the shows were filmed.
0: Mm. See, this is, I, lo- I don't know why. AWA felt smart to me. This is an analogy. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle felt like the Dick Cavett to Ric Flair's Johnny Carson.
1: Do you announce every analogy like that just for the record? Yes,
0: yes. (laughs) I was preparing everybody because it's very deep. (laughs) I know. I'm just
1: just being an asshole.
0: I'm sorry. (laughs) But yeah, it was always a show to me. And I mean that in a good way. And I also think like having done theater and sketch and stand up and improv, it is a very similar to doing improv sometimes. But there is a rawness to a wrestling show that as a performer, you cannot get anywhere else
1: who was your first favorite heel since you brought up Rick Rude? Was it him or Heenan? Or
0: I got to go with Heenan because it was just so funny to me that I remember, I think, Mr. Perfect lost to the Texas Tornado. Just thinking of videos I rented from Blockbuster eight months after the pay-per-view came out. But I remember thinking it was so funny that Bobby Heenan was dressed so nicely and then so upset, you know? That really struck me as like, wow. And I couldn't, I could never get that out of my head. And then, about, and then it's great to enjoy wrestling when you're a kid,
1: you know, it is, yeah. that's when you it's should fantastic be to be it. able to go to a show with someone else, like without, not with your child, but with someone else's child and just like watch them, you know, wholeheartedly yell at heels. Like that's the best stuff.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, I would definitely say Bobby Heenan and Piper, Rick Rude. And you're just like, oh my God, this is just, I also, I mean, Warlord had a Phantom of the Opera mask. Hard to not identify with him. That's a giant theater kid if I ever saw one.
1: I, um, Owen Hart was mine, actually. Mm. Um, Just, uh, I think really when he was just, after the Bret Hart feud, when he was kind of in the mid card and just being like a, a prick, but like for no real specific reason, just kind of flailing for a little bit. I think that's what I got. Tyler, I've never actually asked you this question.
2: Oh, um, my first he- favorite heel.
1: Yeah. See, it,
2: it it was such a weird time. Like, I have a complicated uh history with wrestling. My mom hates it, so I didn't start watching it until about two thousand three. So, okay. like, All right. I'm so thirty four. Even... Okay. No, I'm thirty four. I never watched the Attitude Era, which honestly is probably for the betterment of my not, wrestling I don't think you can now. even
1: go back now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, um, I, I've gone back to like certain shows and moments to just to understand the gravity of things. I've watched a lot of nitros but no, I, I don't really go back but my my first favorite guy and like I, he was he wasn't really a heel but I really loved like 2003 Chris Benoit before he won the rumble. Like he was kind of in that weird range where he was fighting with Heyman. I Paul Heyman was probably my first favorite heel actually. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's a good because
2: thing. Of, uh he he was so good on SmackDown at that point in time. And I had no reverence or even knowledge of what ECW was when I started watching because the first match I ever saw was John Cena Eddie Guerrero parking lot brawl, and then the next week start. was uh Brock Lesnar Kurt Angle Iron Man. So I had quite the start to my wrestling fandom, but. Yeah, I never really, really gravitated towards heels. I gravitated towards like the not the top baby face, but like the second or third baby face down the card, like the one who really has to work up. To yeah, that's why to you're a Vikings anything. fan. Mm. Look, hey, at least some of my favorites won titles. I, I don't know what that's like. I really don't. Um they, Like my my two jerseys in the background are Warren Moon and yeah. The, neither the Oilers nor the Vikings have ever done anything close
0: to winning a title. It's
2: very frustrating.
1: Um, I do want to ask you RJ a specific question that I wrote down, other than just bullshit that we're going through. Or the um, one question you
0: wrote down? The
1: one question? No, I, I did a few others. Um, uh, I do want to ask about AEW, uh, because that is ostensibly why I asked you on. Uh, we've done a great job for the first twenty minutes making sure that we talked about that, but of course that <laughs> He's is
0: done the... a great job making sure people tune out. Yeah. Now we can get into the real. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. I uh, Look, I am really good at this. And uh, this is reflective of all my work in my career. All of them. Um, <laughs> I do want to ask you like a series of questions about it because I think it's a really fascinating show. Like obviously it's entertaining and I think it's great. Uh, and I enjoy watching it every week. But I just think about like the background of it. And I find that really interesting. And, you know, I'm un- unrestricted. Uh, the one bit of research I did before my lungs attacked me. Uh <laughs> Basically, it was you were talking about how you just kind of just did no prep work with the guests. Is that still the case? You still like largely just surprise them?
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's some ones that are drawn out and more involved. Sure. And uh, I do like to do my diligence and probably clear anything about their ethnicity or sexuality so I don't get fired. You know? Sure, yeah. Um, but but even then, it's gotten to the point now, and we've done, we've taped 89 episodes so far. So, an, enough where I go, hey, can I clear? And then they go, no, everything's fine. And That's they don't good. even want me to clear it with them, which is great to me that, you know, people trust me. And that people want to come on and talk about stuff probably in a way that they couldn't talk about otherwise. Um, I think of Action Andretti revealing that he was black, <laughs> which was amazing to me. Uh, Abaddon talking about their pronouns. I don't know where else Abaddon would have I the thought
1: I thought that was a brilliant episode in particular. Uh, just the way that like Abaddon was able to discuss uh, that and uh, while respecting Kayfabe, I thought that was actually like brilliant in a kind of weird way.
0: They were fantastic. It's it's a really weird episode in the best way.
1: But then yeah, you get yeah.
0: other things. And I always love when I ask stupid questions and I get insane answers. And the best example is Jim Ross having heat with Danny DeVito.
1: Yes. That was just the Jim like... Ross episode as a whole was uh <laughs> I, I still don't know, like it, it's he's so hard to read, you know, just in general, I yes. think.
0: But also somebody who if you watch it the first time, you go, this guy's pissed. And then if you watch it again, you go, oh, I think he's in on everything because these are all jokes and we've missed them.
1: Yeah, you know? like he's very deadpan. And yes. uh, like throughout his announcing career, to some extent, I think he's flexed that. And yes. I, I thought it was very prevalent in his episode. and uh, But he did also still come across as very angry <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, he shouldn't wonderful. be happy
1: being right.
0: interviewed by me. I don't blame him at all. It was one of those ones where, They went, uh, we got JR. And I went, really? (laughs) I went, are you sure? And you mean, I couldn't have been better. Everybody on the show has been amazing to work with. Uh, Arn Anderson told me months and months later that... So, I mean, Arn Anderson was the 10th episode. It was very Mm -hmm. much in the infancy of the show. And we would back shoot them. Back then, we would do like four or five in a row. So they told him, hey, we got an interview to do. And he... They barely, you know, he will always say yes because he does what's right for the business and happy to right. blah, blah, blah. So he yeah. did not do any follow-up questions. He thought it was an actual interview. Yeah. No one told him anything. I said, hello, you know, I'm no, respectful. That's, that's a rib. Yeah, I'm respectful. I'm nervous because it's like on and it's like, I like right, you and yeah. I don't want it's you to whatever. And then we just start and he was not ready for any of it. But then it was like this weird first date. Where we like hit it off, and you're like, "Well, this is amazing." And then, of course, I never saw him again for like months, <laughs> until I did another interview where he, he. I asked him if he was packing heat, and he told me to ask my mother. Ah, uh, so <laughs> it was
1: nice that we never lost that chemistry. You have to bring him back on. Uh, have you thought about like repeat guests? I know you kind of abutted against that with the recent uh, Top Flight episode. Yes, I also the other two two-time guest was Matt Hardy. He was
0: on Solo once and then oh, yeah. with Jeff. Yeah. Um, I guess it was probably for the best. Otherwise, I would have just tormented Jeff the entire time. <laughs> um, there, It's gone. It's The show's been going on for two years now. And it's gotten to the point where I go, oh, I had Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs on together. And that yeah. seems like 40 years ago. Right, And they've both done so much now. And they've both opened up so much that I was like, I really should have them on Solo. I have another one written for Tony Khan. it's he was my second guest i have no idea why he hired me i have no idea why he agreed to do the show
1: oh he said he saw your uh your wwe stuff yeah but i go
0: why would you hire that person It's
1: it would be my you know what i mean Fair fair enough
0: but yeah i have another one written for him i have another one written for adam cole like so many people who have done so much since the last time i talked to them tony storm is a different human being um so, so yeah, I mean, I will get to them. But also, luckily, this is a company that continually hires a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out a polite way to make that joke. But thank you for uh, beating me to it. Uh.
0: Every time I think I'm like, "What?" Well, I think we're getting to the end of and then it'll be like, four new people are all elite. I'm like, well, this makes my job really easy.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, I think your most unique episode, in my opinion, is arguably the Taz one, where he just, like, says, no, we're not doing an interview. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. just goes off for 10 minutes, and it's, like, the most Taz thing I could imagine. Um, Is there another one that sticks out along those lines where, like, it kind of just completely broke? I guess excluding, like, the, you know, like, the Halloween episode last year where it became, like, a little mini-movie kind of deal. I think there's ones that, like...
0: Especially with guys who do not wrestle anymore, I would say like Taz and Orn and William Regal. It felt like as close to a match as we're ever going to get at this. Do you know what I mean? Like, Taz obviously made me work for it. Right. I would assume the same way he would do in a match, you know, in a good, healthy way. But he made me work for it. And I feel like Regal did the same way where we and and he said to me months later, no one will believe that we did not rehearse this, which is like mean, being a gift, right? And that's mm-hmm. the whole, it felt very like calling it in the ring. See out there that kind yeah. of sort of, and they have that spark and that muscle just in another way, you know? Yeah. Um, so I always, I always think about those ones. I, the, the hardest one, Minoru Suzuki is one of my favorite wrestlers ever. He's just, like, in terms of doing, like, checking all the boxes, mm-hmm. he's it. Because he'll do the shoot stuff, but also he won't be a dick about it. And yeah. he'll also do this comedy stuff, which is amazing. And he does everything. Yeah, he'll and, blow up
1: a, what was it, robot? Um, <laughs> yeah, in the river. I'm sorry. I just, right. I'm
0: and I just remember finishing it and and just being covered in sweat. Because I was so, <laughs> so horribly nervous.
1: The interview, um, not, the, not the robot match,
0: right? No. No, the, the robot match I enjoyed. Uh, the the worst was, for me was my my long-suffering friend, David Arquette. Yeah. Um, oh, my. He was just a dis-
1: That was chaotic.
0: But in a way that I knew I was getting. He oh, it's watches really good. the show. He loves the show. He got way too excited. And it was a disaster.
1: Um, Excitable boy.
0: And some people just hate that episode, which is hilarious to me. You know? <laughs> Um, He is
1: a a very unique person. Um, Are there any that are stuck on the cutting room floor that we're never going to get to see for whatever reason? Just curious. No, I would
0: say 95% of everything we filmed has made it into the episodes. Anything we've cut out has been, you know, when we back shoot them, we're shooting it a month before it comes out. Some stuff might not be relevant anymore. um so we would have to lose that stuff some stuff we just cut for time where we go this isn't necessary um one thing that was scandalous uh, max caster got something cut out
1: i can't believe that
0: yeah and it was one of those ones where like caster yeah i can i'll give him that and he'll also be i feel like proud that i said that (laughs) um but it was one of those ones where it was like you know Sometimes I put up a fight because we get into dicey territory. Obviously, I have people above me who want to be as safe as possible. And I'm happy to have those arguments. But it was the Max It was the Max Caster one where he said something. It was, a, it was a term he used for semen. And they said, we just, we can't have this. A little too much. And, yeah, a little too. It was a little too much for the, the person cutting it. And it was one of those episodes where it was like, we already had other semen jokes, We talked about January 6th. We had a million other things in it where I was like, I'm not going to die on this hill. We can cut it. That's totally fine. It's Um, like the
1: story with Airplane with the, uh, you know, the cockpit jokes with the child. Yes. You know, where I guess I have to finish the story now. Otherwise it just doesn't work. But like, you know, they were trying to get these like, you know, very risque things. Yeah, you like Gladiator movies? Yeah, to the the child. And they were afraid that they're all going to get cut. So they decided... um, they decided that they had to put in the most risque joke they could so that, you know, the the studio would be like, you can't do that. And then they let the other one slides, so they're like, you ever suck a grown man's cock? Yes,
0: yes. it is so weird what bothers people. Um, I just find it interesting. And yeah. I also am really like, I get really bothered by the, like, those comedians who are like, you can't say anything anymore. So I always yep. sort of make it a, a sub goal for me to, Get into as much dicey territory as possible in the best way possible, you know? And I go back to the Abaddon episode, because how many horrible uh, my pronouns or kiss my ass? Like, yeah. how many times have you had to deal with that shit? And it sucks. So yeah. I was happy to, to do something fresh on that topic.
1: You know? I, I thought it was a great, like, way for mm-hmm. her to work in the... Or, the, is it... The, I'm sorry. It's, I, the, it's
0: they, but I I apologize. they're totally they, fine because
1: it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm a little muddled. A I apologize today. It's okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, for, for them to uh, be able to kind of snap back at that while, you know, yeah. being Abaddon.
0: Nuts. Totally. Not, and I hope it is a, in a weird, I guess, Tuesday Night Titans kind of way. Adds another dimension to these people because it's not like you know some people come on and just want to laugh you know yeah uh and but i think i don't know some people people always say i hate watching the show because there will be wrestlers i hate and the show makes them likable and now i like them how dare you (laughs) i think they're talking specifically about jeff jarrett
2: speaking of jarrett um uh, i saw a, a tweet from you last summer that it, you had a picture with Karen Jarrett and you said yes. that she was one of your one of your like biggest idols, I think it was. Talk yeah. me through that, because the like, I'm guessing at some point you were a big TNA
0: fan. Oh, sure. I was a huge TNA fan at a certain. You know, I mean, my show is an homage to Spin Cycle. That's really what it is. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. Um Karen's fantastic. The best, and I now watch her almost weekly on Being the Dark Order. Curse people out, and I go, "You are just fantastic. You're just a wonderful." Both of them, just like, sure, we'll be the horrible people you need us to be. Are they that in real life? I don't know. I don't hang out with them, but I go, "That's just, you know, a role model of of a bad person," and I mean that in the best way possible.
1: No, a- absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, she's brilliant at it yeah she's very very talented um Sanjay Dutt
0: oh my god
1: <laughs> <laughs> you it's you mentioned DNA. yeah <laughs> uh you mentioned on unrestricted your appearance about how he was supportive of you uh, when you were still in the indies and everything yeah. and if I'm not mistaken he is uh what I will identify as the guy off camera who laughs very loudly at uh you know random periods the guy uh, off camera who won't shut the fuck up during the show trying to Well it interview. adds. Don't never, never have him shut up. It adds to the <laughs> show. It is it is a hundred percent. He is the best third character you could ask for. Why not just make him Ed McMahon and put him like you know on a chair and just have him laugh and add nothing else? Because he gets a real big pencil about it. Mm. That's why.
0: You gotta keep that guy in check. Yeah. You know, you put him in one backyard wrestling video game and all of a sudden he thinks he's hot <laughs> shit. No, Showbiz Sanjay I was on the indies and I got a DM from him. I did not know. I mean, I knew who he was, obviously, but I didn't. He's a deep cut. I saw him at UWA Hardcore in Toronto. That's how long ago, you know. No. And then I just got a, a DM from him saying, um, uh, what's his name now? Joaquin Wilde, Zima Ion.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, um, I'm not showed, even sure now.
0: Yes. Well, whatever. Zima yeah, Joaquin me. Wild is. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then said, you know, he showed me your promos. I love it. Like, keep up the good work. And he was, he was like low-key trying to get me jobs in different places for 10 years. Impact and WWE. And for, for whatever reason, things you know wouldn't work out. Did impact stuff for a little bit. And then I was working in TV, so I was flopping back and forth. And then uh, when Tony brought me in, it was like, Yeah, and um here's Sanjay Dutt. And I'm like, Oh my god, we finally it was felt like it was so worth the wait.
1: Good, good. For
0: it for it to be this. Um Sanjay is not the only person who is there sometimes it's a it's a camera crew who've been fantastic uh jeremy ping zane decker who did a lot of the the ring of honor stuff before they got bought by aw and uh the devilish devilishly handsome john carlo who is responsible for that great vlad documentary uh that's on a streaming service i will not mention yeah um you know, they are also back there and they never know what I'm gonna say. And it's so nice to earn a laugh from them <laughs> despite their best efforts.
1: <laughs> um uh Don Knott's you uh you unprovoked brought him up in yeah. an email to me. Um as a native West Virginian, uh I am now required by blood law to uh have you talk about Don Knott's <laughs> and your love of him and uh just Poetic about him.
0: Don Knotts grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia, in a cabin in the woods. And from what I understand, his father was bipolar and used to chase him around with a knife. So this is the gritty reboot of the Don. This is true, but I mean, ooh. So he used ventriloquism to escape and started performing at the local theater, on which has a statue of him. And now he's just. I don't I don't know. It actually kind of goes back to how we're talking about how those kind of people don't exist anymore of like what a clear character he was. Uh, you know what he looked like? You know what he sounded like? And I always go like, oh, you can do a Don Knotts impression. Can you do like, a, I don't know, Ben Affleck impression?
1: I don't think one really exists, you know? I think you could probably do Affleck, but it'd just be like very Bostonish, and you right. know, I don't know if you could necessarily distinguish between the two. Yes, I do uh, an
2: Affleck every time okay. I go to Dunkin' Donuts. Okay,
1: but that's just Boston, right? Like, like is there mm-hmm. a different style? Yeah. Like uh, if you were just doing generic Boston, or you know.
2: Uh, bostonian i yeah. guess we should say if, if you're doing generic boston you, you, you gotta really ha- have that accent the boston like yeah and, and you, you anytime you're saying thank you you gotta basically be yelling at people
0: it's the important thing it's that aggressive gratitude mm-hmm. um and then don Knotts, i just love how he got away with playing the same guy in every movie it was thought, a
1: livid for sure
0: <laughs> yep it was definitely a livid also um One of my favorite movies. I'm going to recommend a movie. Put this in your letterbox, Fred. Okay. The Love God. Okay. He accidentally becomes basically Hugh Hefner. He has, I think, a bird watching.
1: Go ahead. Free cancellation.
0: Yes. Yes. When everyone liked him. When he was doing like Playboy after dark. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's a way it looks. The movie is beautiful. The fashion is beautiful. And then it's Don being a love god.
1: That is now movie uh, three thousand three hundred and thirty-eight on my two watch list. So,
0: Fantastic.
1: Not even a joke.
2: <laughs> um, um, so that's like my watch list.
0: And I also heard that he was such a real life ladies' man.
1: That, that is apparently a thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That during Three's Company, they would always have like the gal du jour on that Guest episode. Star, right. Yeah. Yeah. And allegedly, he took so many of them to this hotel that the hotel then asked for his picture and autograph to put behind the counter. And he's like, ah, shit. So then he had to switch hotels. (laughs) So, yeah. There is a deeper, deeper rumor that he and Andy Griffith went to an orgy, too. But I've been unable to really confirm it.
1: Maybe that one's left best unconfirmed. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's incredible lore, though.
0: Yeah.
1: It is. Yeah. I, um... I actually did not get to watch Mitch Donuts* growing up because uh, I didn't really get to watch sitcoms very often. So, like what you are to sitcoms, I kind of am to older movies. Right. Uh, I just like if I could if I got the TV for my sisters, like I I had to have, find a way to establish control for a longer period than half an hour. Yes. Otherwise, like the show's over. I gotta change the channel. I get a movie on. I can't. It's it's not even halfway done. We gotta keep watching, right? That's a solid strategy. May I suggest this
0: if you yes. don't if you haven't seen this already, and it's a great movie that everyone should watch. Andy Griffith in a face in the Face crowd. in the
1: crowd. Tremendous it's a masterpiece i i don't know how it's not a bigger deal no my, my wife found it she just was like hey i'm gonna put on this andy griffith movie and i like i had a preconception because like yeah. I, I never even watched um mayberry or andy griffith very often right uh which is a shame uh, i've watched a few you know just i'm busy what can i say uh, i've seen but...
2: every episode of andy griffith so uh we uh, i grew up year. watching tv land all that was on in my i did my too house... but ESPN TV land game show network. I've probably seen every episode of match game 74. Oh, and... oh,
1: yes. Okay. Oh, I did watch a lot of match game. What I watched a lot of was the sixties Batman mm. and green acres, which I, I think explains why my sense of humor is so messed up because but those did you watch really... Petticoat Junction? I did. It wasn't as good. It wasn't my thing, but like the weird meta humor, especially as green acres went on. Yeah. Like it got really kind of trippy. <laughs> Um, and, and, like, they, like, they, like, by the fifth season, they were just like, oh, Arnold Ziffel's cooking LSD in the back, <laughs> you know, like, now <laughs> I would not be surprised if that was an actual B plot to an episode.
0: Yes. Yes. There's actually, there's a, an episode of Mayberry. So the Andy Griffith show used to come on before raw for some reason. So I'd always catch it and then go, oh, this will be great. Right before I used to think this will be a quaint thing to watch. And I remember an episode where. Barney's trying to stretch himself to there's like a police requirement where you have to be a certain height now. Yeah, yeah. he's got this neck pulley thing, and all the kids, the neighborhood kids, think he's hanging himself and decide to just watch. And it's the <laughs> most insane. Like, <clears throat> people don't think like they always go, oh, oh yeah, God. the 60s, the TV was just it was so nice. And I'm like, No, you guys aren't watching really, these episodes. No. This is
1: insane.
0: So, but no, back to a face in the crowd. If I could recommend one old movie for everyone, it would probably be that.
1: It's a masterpiece. It yeah. is a really incisive look at like American politics uh, that I think holds up even better in twenty twenty four. That's probably an awful way to advertise it. It's also very funny. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> it's a good movie. Beyond that,
1: yeah, not like I'm recommending. I don't know, uh, Godard over here or something. <laughs> like, you know, maybe I have to put a little work into Gene <laughs> Yeah. <Jean Dielman.
0: laughs> I will also, let me do my own segue, because both of yes. you have been so much help. I, I just want to say how tremendous it was to work with Ben Mankiewicz and the people at TCM. I meant
1: to bring that up. that I forgot to put that on my list, but yes, that was awesome to see. Uh, talk about that, please. That
0: was like the highlight of my life. I'm such, uh, to the surprise of no one, I am a big TCM guy. So, Toni Storm doing her thing was fantastic. I assume you
1: have like a voice in the room for that.
0: I'm happy to be like a consultant
1: sounding board
0: or like a technical, like, yeah, this looks like what you're going for, you know? Yeah. Um, But she's so dialed into that. It's been insane. Every time I see an old picture of her, I laugh because it's just an entirely different, like, yeah, where did that woman go? And (laughs) it's just, she's just on another level. And I'm just like, wow just dialed into whatever weird shit she's doing every week. It's been amazing. And then he said, well, why don't you introduce, she's doing these films. Why don't you introduce them? Since I had already interviewed her and blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, and I said, like Robert Osborne? And Tony Khan said, no, like Ben Mankiewicz, and I, which is, you know, which tells you where my head is, Fred. Anyway, I opened one and, and you know, this is the great thing about the freedom of, AW is that I opened it by saying, hello, I'm not Ben Mankiewicz. With with zero
1: regard for any wrestling fan ever, right? Why? Why have regard?
0: Yes, like if this had to go through a writer's room, it would not be 10% of the time,
1: you've got to just do it, you know, because it works.
0: Yeah, it'll go quick and we'll, whatever.
1: Yeah, They'll survive. Yes. And we don't need a graphic explaining who Ben Mankiewicz is. Right.
0: (laughs) And then TCM got a hold of the clip. And they were thrilled that anyone under sixty-five was talking about them, <laughs> and and then Ben Mankiewicz got a hold of it, and it's and I had known. Here's like, let me drop another name that no one listening to this will care about. I'm friends with Mario Cantone, who does the Halloween TCM oh, guest yeah, programming. Yeah, yeah. So I've always trying to been swimming in those circles because those are like the cool kids to me. Uh, and then the fact that we got him to do that intro for Tony Storm was just like. I just remember, like, airing. I was, let me tell you something, party of one at the monitor for <laughs> Ben Mankiewicz. <laughs> it was me like this, and it was just so good. It was so perfect. He's so good at his job. And then, like, I've never been so happy <laughs> in my yeah, he life. he nailed
1: that, LV, yeah. of course, which is not yeah. a surprise, but he did.
0: No, and then, you know, everybody loved it. TCM loved it, and God willing, we're doing more because it made them go, like, wow, people love us that we did not know love us. So, like, let's do more. I can't. Yeah, that was if I. Yeah. Well, if you have to put anything on my tombstone, it's let yeah. It rip. Yeah. Helped get. Yeah. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yes. But I, but actually, no, yeah. just,
0: I'll rip them. It'd <laughs> nice. be better. Thanks. But yeah,
1: like that was amazing. And I'm so glad that happened. And like the fact yeah. that TCM noticed it is in a positive light is uh, yeah. completely unexpected to me as a pro wrestling fan.
0: Yeah, it was just the best. And it and I love that it got traction online because I was expecting a whimper, <laughs> you know? And then people were like, this is insane. And who is this? And then people texting me going, my mom is watching this. <laughs> my mom is watching AEW only because of Ben Mankiewicz. So, and there's your big mainstream crossover star. <laughs> there's your guy, Ben That's Mankiewicz. Fair. Yeah. So no, God willing, very soon we'll do more of that. Awesome. So.
2: Tyler you have a, a very interesting kind of set of hobbies especially with someone <laughs> kind of involved in for Russian world and I, I, I don't mean that as an insult I think it's really cool that uh, you are uh, like a huge old film buff like my mom would always have TCM on in the background I think every Sunday morning we watched an old Blondie movie and I mentioned that in the pre-show with, yes. with the Dagwood sandwiches I used to eat Dagwood lunch meat sandwiches because he used to actually have his own like lunch meat that was like I buddy good not
0: it Isn't was, that amazing?
2: Maybe it was a Midwest only thing. I don't know. I but it was really cool. But uh, my question here is this: because your your viewpoint on entertainment and how you kind of it, encapsulate so many different areas, especially with your experience, how do you kind of try to make your own niche in the world of professional wrestling? Because you obviously loved Heenan, you liked rick Rude. Everybody loved Earthquake. Because I mean, it was Earthquake. How did you try to kind of craft your own path? <laughs> in making it in this industry that is one that's relatively difficult to do.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, a relatively unfunny uh, industry. A lot of comedy mm-hmm. and wrestling is just really, really bad. Oh, bad. Just mm-hmm. bad, Just straight up bad. And I don't even say that in like a bitter, angry way. I'm just like, nah, look at it. Some of it's yeah. great and amazing. And it's been fantastic. But then, uh, you know, 90% of it's been throughout wrestling history has not been very good. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a lot of just me going, I'm going to do this. No one else is doing it. And then you get told no a lot. And then you say, well, I'm going to keep doing it because I want to. Because it feels better. You get to a point where you go, either I do what they want and maybe get a job out of it. Will I enjoy myself? Probably not. (laughs) And I go, but I will probably enjoy myself this way. And there was a real, there was a period where I thought, gee, I'm going to enjoy Not being signed and doing stuff that I could only do if I wasn't signed, I made a lot of really stupid videos, did a lot of you know stupid things, and then these odd doors open up to you like Steve Austin being in my underwear with Steve Austin, and just you know David Arquette, the general weirdness like none of that would have happened if I took the standard routes. So then these doors opened up to me, and then You know, because of the pandemic, I had to get hired by WWE. So the the world had to almost end for that to happen. Um, And, but then that opened that door of like, oh, I'm the only person doing this. So when that opens, I'm in, uh, you know, in charge. I'm the resident expert of how to be an idiot in that regard. And then you also, though, you get to find like minded people. I don't want to say there was like a wave. But I, I always feel like somebody like Danhausen and somebody like Orange Cassidy and somebody yeah. like Stokely Hathaway all sort of were on this crest of like, dare I say, postmodern wrestling. Like, I don't know what else to call it, but they sort of got, seemed to get fed up with the normal stuff, you know, in their own way.
1: Yeah, it was um, a I I think, I've actually thought about this a little bit, which is dangerous, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I think that what kind of happened, no, I have this theory that the reason we got these kind of, you know, like you said, Pomo, uh, postmodern gimmicks, uh, in this particular time period is because American wrestling, kind of became very monopolized, even though there were several, like, you know, TNA was a thing, though it was struggling around, and this, I point this around 2016, 2017, uh, just because of how the market was with uh, established WWE dominance, where its biggest competitor was NXT itself, essentially. I mean, and, and like New Japan's, you know, made its greatest ingress into America around that time period, just because of a lack of an alternate. Um, and I think this is all just like business factors leading to uh, the ability of the independents to kind of develop this uh, this weird status relative to where it had been before and after, where it was basically you know Triple A baseball in a way. Not a knock on anyone, but it was a you know kind of a breeding ground for like the next generation. And then once they made NXT the actual you know their their minor league, such as it was. Um, And I'm doing a bunch of air quotes here that really will translate well to a podcast. Um, (laughs) But I do think that like this, that kind of opened the door to that kind of wrestling. And I, you know, depending on your opinion that, you know, you may or may not like it. I'm of the opinion that some of it worked and some of it didn't, but you know, like, I I just think it's very interesting to think about how like, you know, these different business factors uh, led to, you know, Dan Housen. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yes. We need to explain him. Um, no, And then, you know, as I look back, I go, oh, I think there were, even before that, a couple, like, chinks in the armor. And I go, like, uh, when Cole Cabana was on SmackDown and they did a <laughs> For three weeks. And, yeah. And they did a picture-in-picture picture promo and he goes, hey, I'm in a box. And I talked to him about that. And I go, I can't, like, that stuck with me. Yeah,
1: you know? I remember that. It was brilliant. And I'm sure no one there liked it or got no. it. No.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. So it was very, you know, the, the vending machine had to rock a bunch for yeah. years before it finally tipped over. And and, the, and also, you know, you're back to it some being good and, and some of it not. It is
1: relatively new territory. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So that, and like, you know, I will be honest, like, you know, I think I've been I, I, I always like am honest about my opinion about AEW on this show. I I like the promotion in general. I think it's a great thing. It's actually probably saved my fandom in professional wrestling or at least change the path of it. Uh at various points I've been down on the timeless Tony gimmick because I think it's you know too much stick, not enough you know meat but I feel like the past three or so weeks when she's actually got into the Diana Perazzo feud I think has been wonderful I think it's been exactly what it needed to be and I think that her performances have been great and uh, you know I, I just think that like it's very tough when you break from the mainstream path of wrestling mm-hmm. like the main mm-hmm. as I try to go 3D I guess I don't know what I'm doing I'm so sorry Uh <laughs> But, uh, but like, you know, you can, it's easy to be like, I'm a big guy and I want to beat up this other big guy and you better spend money to watch it. Like that's, you know, that's not inventive. There's nothing wrong with it. I love it. It's great, obviously when it's done well. Um, but like to try to do something different, uh, you know, it doesn't always work, but like with the right person, you can make it work a lot more than it doesn't. And honestly, I think the character that kind of did a little bit of this, at least in my opinion, was, uh was Mick Foley in 98, 99 uh, with uh, the kind of deranged corporate mankind, like, please accept me thing. uh, Stuff that really didn't fit into, I think, anything else that a major American promotion on cable TV had done before, but like was tremendously over and I think it was entirely because of Mick Foley as a performer and I mean I think that's why Orange Cassidy works is because of Orange Casty of who right. he is as a performer and Dan Housen okay. Van Housen and you 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 know um and Tony Storm Tony Storm I I do think and you know it's taken a little bit longer than maybe I would have liked just because you know it's a new thing and I you know I, I'm not like gonna bury anyone here I'm not a complete asshole just kind of one and um uh, but like I think that we finally have like Tony Storm figured out, and I think it's been working well the past few weeks. I do hope that some people that were initially turned off by her are giving her a chance now that I think she's got her sea legs.
0: It's almost a testament that we forgot what a good wrestler she is. Yeah, it's a testament to how mm-hmm. how strong the all the insane shit she's doing is resonates with people and blows up because yeah. it did overshadow almost immediately. You know, she was yeah, always she, always no, a great wrestler. Like we always knew that.
1: 2021, I think she was the best North American woman wrestler. In the yeah, game. Um, yeah.
0: And then there's been so much, you know, silent films yeah. and TCM and all that stuff that, you know, you get carried away with it. And it's probably, you know, in a variety sense, a great thing to have on a show. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. I think it adds a certain layer to it and yeah. uh, when it's working. And I think it's working terrifically. Now.
0: Yeah, but then, uh, you know, Diana, who's been very like, I don't know. Getting to like watch her stuff has at that this level reminded me of like Bret Hart, where there's like this calmness, there's like a believability, and there's like a I don't know how to explain it, a consistency. And it, yeah. it doesn't sound like a compliment, but it is. Um, and it and then this whole thing that's going on with the tattoos, and they used to be friends, and the whatever seems to be pulling out the 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 wrestler out of Tony, and it yeah. is that thing where it's this insane hold this whole thing she's built the whole world she has an entourage and whatever and you i guess you never know where the tolerance level is or where it's going to go because i haven't seen anything like that before mm-hmm. you know yeah Mankiewicz and Mankiewicz certainly hasn't gotten off the couch for any other wrestler i'll tell you that that's,
1: that's correct that is very true not even the the wrestlemania goes hollywood promos 15 no. years ago or whatever it was you
0: would think um,
1: um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, do think, um, it's, you know, wrestling is very unique in that way because, you know, I guess the closest thing to it is like, uh, improv theater, I guess, if you're mm-hmm. going to compare it to any other artwork, uh, or medium, I guess it would be better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, I, and the thing with wrestling is that once something is over, it's over and typically it doesn't mm-hmm. lose that status. And yeah. I don't know. I think that'll be interesting to watch going forward and, I uh, hope it works out well.
0: Yeah. It's the whole thing is very interesting. I have not seen something even close to that, especially with uh, a women's roster ever. Yeah, and she's just also. It is one of those things where it's like, gee, on paper, this sounds really fucking stupid. And it's like, well, then why does it work? And it's like, because she's just like dialed in. I've never seen anyone just like. Again, I look at old pictures of her and I go, "Who? What happened to this woman? Where did this person go? She's just completely." In this whole other world now, and you know, every it does feel like everyone is along for the ride because no one can can remotely compete with whatever she's got in her head right now. Yeah. Uh, Tyler,
2: I got I got one more. Um, you've really delved into the we we talked a lot about your history with like kind of trying new things and then the history of comedy wrestling. Yes, I am one of the world's biggest fans of Toru Yano. Mm. I would like to hear about your opinions of Toru Yano and if you've ever seen his G1 match against Tetsuya Naito where they battled over over the t-shirt.
0: Yeah, that was a, a few years ago? How long ago was it? 2018, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to look. I mean, I'm a fan of his work. You can look. Go search on my Twitter. I've asked him to come on Hey multiple times. Zero answer.
1: Promise this to is... get it on one of his DVDs and he might respond.
0: Okay. I'll do whatever he needs. That's totally fine. But I'm I'm also of the belief that first of all, and I think Orange Cassidy just said this too. We and I'm not blaming you, but like the term comedy wrestling is very difficult Mm -hmm. to grasp because it really is. I I always think all wrestling is pretty fucking funny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Number one, you know, I mean, you can the ropes are bouncy uh mm-hmm. the undertaker it's cartoon logic that yeah. part. i mean the undertaker is a lot the stuff is funny and even like three stooges physical timing stuff that isn't funny still has comedic timing built mm-hmm. into it a real yeah. physical rhythm and a, a whatever so i always see the parallels even when it's not explicitly funny and then i also think uh you know comedy wrestling often meant not funny <laughs> to me it always meant like, the, oh, let's do the test of strength and oh, let's start dancing, which was like exhausting. So I always try to be like, can comedy just be, con-? like, can we be funny for the sake of being funny? And anytime you qualify, like wrestling with something, it always meant not very good. Like wrestlers who rap <laughs> were never the best. And then they, uh, you know, eventually were. You're telling they- me you didn't own the John Cena album? Hey, I... Uh, My reference was, was going
1: to be PN News, so... <laughs>
0: What was the sad one? There was a really sad song they did. Oh, oh I, was... I know
1: what you're talking about. Um, oh, just
0: another day in the life. Is that the song? Um,
1: so? mm, I'm not sure. I can't oh. recall. I'm sorry.
0: Ah, oh, this is a tragic day. Um, but yeah. I, what, what, Tyler? What the hell was the question? Where were you going with this? Uh, uh,
2: your thoughts on Toro Yano. Um, oh my god. Yes. Thank I love you. Yano.
0: Fantastic. And in addition to being fantastic. Used wonderfully, um, obviously in the, the, his own matches, but also on the card. Mm-hmm. You need that, and I always say, like, you you know, if Cirque du Soleil, if you go to the circus and it's all acrobats, it would be horrible. The same way, mm-hmm. if it was all clowns, it would be a horrifying experience. So you really need that for the sake of the show. It'd be like completely entertained. You need that character, and I always didn't he he beat John Moxley. By count out or something oh yeah he was the
1: first guy to beat john moxley in new japan, i mean incredible but, mm-hmm.
0: but like incredible f- for everyone involved
1: i was going to write an article for the voices of wrestling annual new japan book about how Toriyano was actually the strongest wrestler in new japan he just wasn't focused enough and yeah, you know, yeah. was merciful enough to let other people win yes uh but then Listen, they canceled the Omega book and, still they Toriyano
2: out. a title shot from 2018's <laughs> g1 I, mm-hmm. i'm just saying ishii got one abushi got one I want my Yano
0: title shot. And I will say the, the f- fantastic thing about wrestling, and I think Yano's probably the ultimate example of it, is that the setup has to be strong for the punchline to work. And yes. the setup is strong because there are a lot of guys who are so legitimate. The same way mm-hmm. that, you know, me sitting in a room with Taz or William Regal or Minoru Suzuki their setup is they're, you know, legit. And I'm uh, not,
1: you know, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask one more question. Then we'll let you go. Um, but, um, but growing up. Oh, what? Tyler?
2: <laughs> oh, I, I think I froze out because all of a sudden I just see R- RJ's face. Just like, because I think
1: my internet just kind of, no, you're, you're good. You're good. That was
0: my listening face.
1: <laughs> um, Growing up. I absolutely adored Pee Wee Herman. Yes, tough. Um, and uh, I know that you were close with him. So I just wanted to ask you to talk about Paul Rubens for a couple minutes because I would kick myself if I didn't do that.
0: Oh my God. So I met Paul 15 years ago at his Broadway show and he had just done Monday Night Raw. <laughs> if you remember that. I think yeah. he did some mm-hmm. stuff with, with Paul White and Santino or whatever. And um, so we started talking and we kept in touch and then we just hit it off. And and then years later, I end up being friends with David Arquette, who's friends with Paul Rubens. And, you know, the problem only got worse from there. He was just really, truly the best person. Just the sweetest, kindest. He was so beyond funny. I don't know how to explain it. It was like he he had already beaten the game, you know, but I'm I'm sure he could probably say, yeah, I did fucking Phoebe Herman. I'm good. Like I did it. Um, He he was fascinated by wrestling. Because he grew up next to the Ringling Brothers training center. And that's why he did Big Top Pee Wee. That was his Mm -hmm. homage to the circus. And then he always, uh, I think for a while he was going to go down to, and it might have been FCW before it was NXT, and like help those guys. I think Freddie Prince Jr. was there and was maybe going to, you know, whatever. So he knew like Ryan Nemeth knew him a little bit and Xavier Woods. And I just, he was just the the sweetest person in the world. And he was so, last time I saw him, we did was when we did Family Feud together. And then me, him, David, and Dalton Castle uh, all went out for burgers as That's one. That's a dog. hell of a group. It is a hell of a Incredible. group. Yeah. And um, he was great. I mean, he was nuts in his own way, but he was very helpful in saying to me, like, so I, you know, I had my tryout 10 years ago, whatever the hell it was. It was the first try it under Triple H. It was in FCW before it was NXT. And after, it looked like I was going to get it and then I didn't. And then, you know, he spent an hour on the phone with me saying to me, hey, I thought I was going to get SNL too. And it did not happen. And they told me, like, start looking for an apartment. And then they ended up, I think, picking Gilbert Gottfried over him. It was the sixth season, the, much, the disastrous sixth season. And he didn't understand it. And then he just, it was that philosophy of, I'm going to just take all this and make something out of it. Take all this frustration and whatever. And then from that, he just leaned into Pee Wee, you know, and made it its own thing. And then it's like, thank God he didn't get Saturday Night Live. You know, you look back on it. And he was always very, very a strong believer in everyone goes left, you go right, just to see what's there. Just do your own thing. If everyone's going to this party, do not go to this fucking party. He was always weird and neurotic like that, but in a real, uh, beautiful way. I mean, he was he was nuts. I just love him, and um, yeah, it's so sad, but also like just an in insane body of work. I'll tell you, yeah. this is here shit. Everyone should look up because it, this is not talked about enough. He hosted a game show for six episodes called You Don't Know Jack. You, you don't know Jack. It's all they're all on YouTube. He wrote it with John Paragon, who played Jombie on Pee Wee's Playhouse, and they're insane. You can see why it only lasted six episodes and was replaced by Wayne Brady. You can see the executives going, The fuck is this? Yeah. Um, but just brilliant and had so much, had such a belief in like, let's do the other thing,
1: you know? Yeah. I, uh, after he passed, Nicole and I went to a local theater that was showed, um, the uh, uh, Big Adventure. Um, yeah, And it's just a masterpiece of a movie. And, like, I don't even think I recognized how great it was when I first watched it when I was a kid. Like, no. It's just It's wonderful. beautiful.
0: And every scene, it's like, oh, my God. And then this one, followed by this one, followed by this one. And he actually drove me to the Francis Buxton house. Nice. <laughs> it was in the suburbs of L.A. And I'll, uh, let me make this all full circle. There's, I believe, two wrestlers that appear in the movie.
1: One. Um, Go ahead. Oh, Fuji. Is it not Fuji, but Tor Tanaka?
0: Uh, uh, Tor Tor Kamada, maybe.
1: Okay. One of
0: them. Now, now we're all being racist and weird. And the second one is uh, Andy Simone's boyfriend was a wrestler named Silo Sam in the AWA.
1: There it is, Tyler. There you go. Silo Sam.
0: Kurt Henning allegedly took a padlock during a battle royal and lock silo sam's suspenders to the top rope
1: <laughs> what oh my god yeah well you didn't I think, where think i was a... gonna
0: tie it up but i tied it all up this little bow here
1: i can't think of a better way to end the episode rj thank you so much for joining us i appreciate your time and uh this very meandering mess of an episode i do hope you're able to join us at some point in the future uh i, I had a blast i would love yes. it. it was delightful and i think
0: we can all agree that trevor dane made the right decision
1: he really oh, always I got can't one I came back. <laughs> Eventually, it'll just be me on a microphone by myself, just muttering like you know the loneliness of a long-distance runner, <laughs> and then 15 seconds of awkward silence, and the kiss of the spider woman—the <laughs> 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 worst podcast anyone could ever consider. Just RJ, enjoy. thank you so much. I really do. Thank you.
0: It. A pleasure, everyone.
2: Never forget, everybody that Nellie Olson sucks. Have a wonderful <laughs> day. We'll see you next week.
1: Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today.